Well, good morning again, guys. My name is Jacob. For those of you guys who don't know me, I'm the youth director here at Heritage Bible Church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be taking a break from Revelation this week, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Especially with the, the, what we're getting into with Revelation. But yeah, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in verses 13, and then we're going to continue it on through the first couple of verses of chapter 2, where Peter ends his thought. Okay, you guys notice there, there are no sermon notes. I have some notes up here, but you guys don't have any. I did that on purpose so you guys can uh, thank me later, just like last time I was up here. Okay, we're going to be, uh, yeah, in this book, First Peter, obviously this is written by Peter, one of the apostles, okay? And I just want to remind you guys of who Peter was, the, the guy that he was, the type of guy he was. We, we all know Peter, he was a fisherman. He was one of the first followers of Christ behind his brother Andrew. Uh, Peter, his, his name was Simon until he met Jesus. When he meets Jesus, Jesus changes his name. And he calls him, hey, you're no longer going to be called Simon. Your name's not going to be Peter, which means rock. Okay, Peter was the first disciple to confess Christ as Lord. We see that in Matthew 16. And then Peter, he was, he's the spokesperson for the 12. He's the, he's the leader of the apostles. He's like the guy that they're looking to, and then he's like their, he's like their spokesperson. Okay, Peter was, he's a part of Jesus' inner circle of disciple, uh, disciples. P Peter was bold. Peter was the one to, to leave the boat to walk on water to meet with Jesus. Peter tried to rebuke Jesus when Jesus talked about his death. Okay, Peter, he's the guy who cut off the high priest's servant's right ear when he, they came in to arrest Jesus in the garden. Peter was that guy that jumped in front and drew his sword and cut off that guy's ear. Peter, he bragged that he would never forsake Jesus' name. He would never forsake the Lord. And then later on that day, he denied Christ three times. Jesus reaffirms Simon as Peter as a rock, promising that he's going to be an early uh, church pillar here. Jesus made a specific point to forgive and restore Peter as apostle after the erection. Peter was the main speaker to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 Gentiles got saved. Peter was there, and he took part, opening the door to the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. We see this unfolding in Acts. Okay, Peter, he's, he's a big deal. He's not as big as Jesus, but he still played an important role in the early church. Okay? We, we, the thing is, we should be encouraged by just Peter and who he was, knowing that he was kind of all over the place. He was, he, he did some good things, and he did some really, really bad things, you know, some, some dumb things, thinking that, you know, he can rebuke Jesus. And Jesus, what you're talking about is wrong. Okay, so we, we should be encouraged by that. Okay, Peter writes just only two books of our Bible, First Peter, Second Peter. And he, he writes... This one here, First Peter, he wants to highlight a couple important topics. And, and the first that he's trying to, first thing he wants to accomplish here, one of the topics is what Jesus actually accomplished by his undeserved death on the cross. The second being, what, what does that mean? What is knowing what Jesus' undeserved death on the cross, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for Christians? What does it mean for the life of the Christian? And then lastly, he, he tells us in First Peter specifically, Later on in chapter 5, he tells us why he writes that book in the first place. And in chapter 5, he tells us that he writes to encourage the Christians who are under persecution. <coughs> and during this time period, uh, Emperor Nero, he was the guy who was running the Roman Empire at the time. He was a pretty bad guy, as we know. Um, he was one who, who was 
having people like pretty much hunt down and kill and persecute, threat, beat, jail Christians. And this is none of this stuff is news to, to Peter's lifestyle here. Um, and Peter, he was he was threatened, he was beaten, he was jailed, and he was he, he knows persecution. So he's writing to these Christians to to encourage them about that. Yeah, we all know Emperor Nero. They had the great Roman fire, and they needed a scapegoat to blame. Okay, Emperor Nero was the guy who blamed the Christians because like they were the perfect scapegoat for him. Um, to, to the Romans at the time, the, the Christians, they were, they were the weirdos, okay? The, their religion, okay, the Christianity started about 30 years prior to that, 35 years or so, and he, he blamed the Christians for the fire that took place. It was a perfect scapegoat for him because to the Romans, the Christians, they were the, athe- they were the ones who were atheists. They were the ones who denied all their other gods because Roman culture, obviously, were, they're polytheistic. They had many gods. The Christians, they were the, they were the atheists. They were the they were cannibals to everybody else because they partook in eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood, as we know as communion. Okay, they, they were they were just weird people. Okay, they were the perfect people to blame. So he blames these people, and then all the Romans and everybody else starts persecuting them. So that's kind of setting the scene for the time period for when Peter's writing this, and he's writing this to Christians. This is a letter written to all these Christians in this area, and it's written to us as well in, in the modern-day time. Okay, we're going to be focusing in on, like I said, verses 13, and then all the way through the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Um, so we have a lot of text to cover this morning. And just a couple things I want us to just remember if you don't know or just haven't read First Peter in a while, um, just summarizing some of the topics that Peter wanted us to know, okay, from chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. The first is that Jesus conquered death and that he's our living hope. We have a living hope found in Jesus, okay? The second is that once you're saved, your salvation is guarded and protected by God. That's what Peter talks about in the first 12 verses. You can look through those really quickly before we get started if you'd like. But those are the two biggest points that he wants us to remember before getting into this next set. And that kind of brings us to where we are today. Okay, today's passage is about uh, living a holy life. A lot of you guys' Bibles might have it titled, Be Holy. Okay, that's, that's where we're at today. And the question is, if you want to live a changed life, a holy life, that's, that's what we're going to look at today. That Peter gives us some practical applications um, in order to, to help us out with this. It's all about that. And as we're getting into this, we just got to remember something, you know, about sin. That's the whole dilemma that we have, the sin nature. That's the whole dilemma. Okay, so let's just talk about sin for a second. Okay, sin, it's, it's powerful, it's deceptive, it's common. It's this powerful thing, and if we don't kill it, it's going to end up killing us. Okay, Hebrews 12.14 makes a point that says, make every effort to live a holy life without holiness. Nobody sees the Lord. Okay. So we're just, we're just trying to pull out some things about what we know about sin. Okay, Jesus talked about sin. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Um, for it's better for you to lose your eye than your entire body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 5, 29. And what he's saying there, he's saying that if you make peace with sin, if you, if you make peace with a sin that's powerful, that's deceptive, that's common, and then you let it into your life that you're, you're going to hell. He's not saying that if you're saved 
and you sin, you're going to go to hell. Jesus here is making the point to just remind us how powerful sin is and how important the battle with sin is and how important it is to live a holy life. If sin wasn't so serious, Jesus would have never had to die for us. Okay? We also know that God saves by grace, and that grace is the thing that justifies us, it's the thing that sanctifies us, it's the thing that grows our spiritual maturity, and our faith in Jesus is what unites us with him, it's what unites us with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The point is, the Holy Spirit is what gives you, as Christians, the ability to actually change and to actually be able to go to war with sin and try to battle this sin dilemma, this war with the flesh and the spirit that we have. Okay, it's not because that doing any of these good things is going to earn us any extra points or any extra favor with God and that allows us to get into heaven or be under God's favor, but it's because God is gracious. It's because of him. So that brings us where we're at, verses 13. Okay, I'm just going to read the, the full letter here, the full part that we have today, because this was meant to be read in, in, one, in one reading. And then we'll c- we're going to come back and we'll make some minor comments. Okay, just follow along with me, verse 13. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you're since you call on a father who judges, judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And carrying on into chapter 2, we're going to look at the first three verses here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I think the Lord is good. Yeah, there's a couple of important words that should already be getting our, our senses kind of alerted here. Okay, the first that we see is the first word, verse 13, therefore. Okay, w- we need to know why is that there? Why, why is he saying therefore? And any time that we see a therefore, a but, a since then, a because of this, those should all be words that make us stop and pause for a minute look back about what, were, what did the text just say? What was he just telling us? Okay? And what he's telling us here, is, is he's telling us, therefore, because of all these things, because you've placed your hope in this living hope, which is Jesus, we need to do something. The therefore implies 
something that God's done and now something that we need to do. And, and all these commands that are in these New Testament letters that we read, they, they have a command for us to obey. For any time we see that, for like a way of life that we should live, um, any of these commands, it's linked to what God's already done by sending Jesus. Okay? And we tend to forget about God's grace and we go around living life in autopilot. We, we, you know, we come to church, we go to a small group, we read our Bible, all these things. We, but we tend to forget these things. We, t- we tend to always go back to, maybe some of us do, to a worse righteous way that we need to do all these good things so that we can earn God's favor and so all these things. So God will be pleased with us and all these things and then he'll be happy with me. Then God will give me grace. But that's, that's not the gospel. That's not true. God gives us grace and then because of that, we work for him. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're, we're saved apart from works, two good works. That should be a reminder for us. The remaining sin of, in our life makes us think that we need to earn God's favor. And that's a depressing way to live under as Christians. Um, having the thought that God doesn't love me, I just need, I need to do more. That, that's no way to live. On the other side of things, having this mismatch can make us feel self-righteous. We can start thinking, oh, I'm, I'm better than this guy over here. Um, at least my sin isn't bad as his. Okay? Th- both those reasonings are problems. Both those reasonings are problems. And I'm, I'm making a point here on this therefore because that's the thing. We tend to forget about it. We, we tend to forget what God has done. Forget that we're saved by grace. Okay? But we need to just remember that. We need to remind ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. Okay, we don't obey God's word to earn his favor. We obey because we have his favor. Okay, I don't want us to forget that. That's, that's why his therefore is there. Because he's saying because of all these things, because you're saved, because you have eternal life, because you've placed your faith in this living hope, so therefore we need to do something. And what does he tell us we need to do? He, he tells us that we need to have minds that are alert and fully sober. We need to set our hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Other translations might say something like, you need to gird up your loins, okay? Back in these days, the, the guys would wear these long tunics and for them to be able to move around unhindered or if they were going to work or if they were going to go to battle or if they were going to do anything, they'd have to gird up their loins. And Peter's making a point here by saying, you guys need to gird up the loins of your mind. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. And what that looks like, it would be like you take your leg covering, you pick it up and you tie it like in your waist. That way I can move around, my legs can move freely and I can, I can go to work. That's what he's, and he's giving us this reference here that he's saying that we need to do that with our minds. We need to gird up the loins of our minds. Um, we need to prepare our minds. Okay, it would be like similar today, us saying, hey, we need to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Pull up your, your boots and go to work. Okay, and we need to remember here, Peter is telling us right here, that the battle is in the mind. The battle's in the mind. The brain decides what we want to do and then we act on that. Okay, our thoughts, thoughts typically dictate people's actions. If you have a pure mind, most likely you're going to have more pure actions. And because of that, we need to be preparing our mind to go about our day. When we get into struggles and trials and temptations, we need to be preparing our mind. Okay? And then he tells us, with all of that, after we prepare our mind, we need to be sober. We, which, here, it's not talking about... Um, like, you know, abstaining from alcohol or anything like that. It would, it's a, a way of speech for him to tell us, basically, you need to be sober. You need to be able to take a, a clear look on life. 
Um, it'd be like, you know, saying to somebody, hey, you need to get your head in the game, you know. That, that's what he's telling us here. We need to take that clear look on life, take a serious look on things. Okay, we've all heard the, the whatever list in Philippians 4.8. This, this is kind of like a battle plan for us, the, for us controlling what we think about. Okay, Philippians 4.8, the whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, okay, think about these things. That's what scripture tells us, think about these things. Okay, on the contrast, if we fill our brains up with the opposite, with, with junk, okay, bad music, inappropriate movies, pornography, gossip, slander, evil, that's going to influence, that'll influence our actions. It, it, it'll influence our actions. And what Peter's telling us here is that we need to be proactive. We need to be girding up the loins of our mind, picking up the leg covering, tying it off. We need to do that with our mind. He's saying don't be mentally lazy on things. Don't just live life in autopilot, waking up and hoping that things work out. You need to do something. And it's easy for us to set our hope on things that can't truly satisfy us, whether that's a house, cars, money, prestige, friends, status, pleasure, and all these things. We, we can get caught up in setting our hope in things that don't actually satisfy, things that don't actually save. Okay, but And what Peter's telling us, too, obeying this command is going to take mental work. Obeying it is going to take mental work. We need to take control of where our thoughts go and what our minds dwell on. Okay, we need to lead our emotions. Okay, that's leading our emotions is a part of it. Okay, sometimes we tend to be led by emotions, but really when we get emotions, we need to lead them to the right direction. We'll be distracted by these things, these other things that we mentioned, if we don't engage our minds in this intentional hope setting. It should be a, an intentional thing that we do in our mind. It, it's, it's a part of that. Okay, and for us, our intentional hope is set. It's set on our living hope that Peter talks about in the earlier verses. It's set on Christ. Okay, so, yeah, prepare our minds, set our hope on the grace that's brought to us when Jesus is revealed that is coming. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Okay, Peter, he's, he's touching on the theme of, a, of new birth, of rebirth. Okay, children are typically sometimes can be like their parents. That could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing. <laughs> that was my dad laughing in the back. <laughs> again unto God, okay? We should strive to be like him. We should strive to be like him. Knowing that we'll never be like him. We're never going to be a God. We'll never be like God in his deity. Okay, that's, that's not what he's saying here, but fulfilling God's call to holiness requires that we, we break off with the lifestyles of the world and the lifestyles of our evil desires. Okay? And we can't do this ourselves. We can't, we can't do that ourselves at all. Okay, we do this as obedient children, okay, the, the, the rebirth, okay, being born again. That's how we can do this, through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay, once you're saved, the Holy Spirit begins to, to work on your heart, and it allows you to change and have, and have victory over these things. Okay, that's, that's the way that we can, it'll help us set our minds, okay, set our minds on, on things before the, the temptation pops up, or as it pops up, we can bring that to God, rather than dwelling on it and then trying to fight sin when it's at its biggest and worst and most 
horrible time to fight it. Verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay. To be holy, okay, we, we have God. God is morally pure. That's, that's one thing. But because he's mo- morally pure and perfect, that, that makes him set apart from sin. And for us, that's being holy. It means it's being set apart. And in here, it's, it's being set apart from sin, not just being set apart from the world, but being set apart from sin. Okay? To be set apart and to be separate from sin and evil. God's holy. He's completely separate from everything that's evil. And it's, it's super important. It's crucial for us to understand that no amount of behavioral modification or, you know, I'm just going to change. I'm just going to not say that anymore. Or I'm just not going to look at that anymore. I'm not going to partake in this anymore. Whatever. None of that is going to get you God's favor, okay? Because apart from God, it's impossible. We can't do it on our own. That's the whole point. The Holy Spirit indwelling in the lives of you and the lives of me as, as believers, it's what fills us with holiness. That's the way that we can be looked on as holy, holy from God through Jesus, okay? And this is the first step to living a holy life. The, the first step is literally accepting Christ as your Savior. That's the fir- first step, this is kind of a, a hard command for us to live up to that Peter's telling us, okay? Therefore, because of this, you need to do this. We need to live holy lives. That can be a, a daunting thing for us. And in general, you know, a lot of Christians, they, they think that they don't have this opportunity or a, ability to deal with the sin in their life and, you know, to move away from the things that used to characterize them in their previous life and, and then try to move towards holiness. We, we tend to think it's a far-off goal, that we, we can't wait for the day to finally be rid and be done with the sin of my life. Okay, well, yes, that's true. That's going to be a day that comes and happens. But what Peter's telling us right here, he's making a reference back to Leviticus, and all of these, all the Jews at the time, they would have known exactly what he's referring to. Okay, and he's, what he's saying is, look, you yeah, that's true. One day that's going to happen, but you don't have to wait. That, that can start now. Scripture says that that can start now. Not through our own power. Okay? Well, yes, we have this, we have this sinful flesh. We're, no, we're not a slave to it. We're not a slave to it. Okay? The battle is real between the holiness and the lust of the flesh, but Scripture also tells us that we're no longer slaves to it. Okay? We're no longer slaves to sin any longer. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I doing about active steps in holiness? What am I doing about girding up the loins of my mind? What am I doing about setting my mind on the other things, on, on Philippians 4, 8 things, okay? What am I actively doing in steps in holiness? And obtaining the things that the Bible says that you have the ability to obtain through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, have you set your mind on that? Have you set your mind on those things? Okay. A lot of us, you know, maybe, maybe just me, but a lot of us, we're, we're, too, we're too willing to accept that w- what the enemy tells us about this. Okay, when it comes to this thing, okay, what, what Satan's lies are, okay, you are helpless, you are hopeless, you are, and you always will, you always have been, you always will have this problem, so you might as well just do it and give in to it. You're going to have this problem until you die, okay, that's, that's Satan's lies, that's the enemy's lies. We know it's not what the Bible says, okay, we're, we're called to be holy, 
We already talked, Paul in Romans, where he talks about us being dead to sin. Okay? And the thing is here, like we said, it's, it's, it starts in the mind. It's a, it's a thought, okay? Have you made up your mind? Have you set your mind on this? Or are you going to give in to Satan's lies? That's, we need to remind ourselves of that anytime those thoughts come in. Okay? Children of God should represent a family likeness to the character of our Heavenly Father. Okay? And yeah, we talked about that. It's not like we're expected to be like God or whatever, like we are a God. But it's, it's an example for us. It's a way, it's a thing for us to strive to, to look forward to, to look up to. Okay? Striving for righteousness as Christ demonstrated. Okay? This means that Christians set themselves apart. Christians are holy from the unbelieving world. They, they're set apart. Okay? Set apart from sin. And anytime we face temptation, we need to be leading our minds. We need to be leading our emotions. And we should re- be reminding ourselves, like, hey, look, that was my old life. I died to that. That's not, a, that's not a part of my new life. I'm a new creation in Christ. That's what Scripture tells us. We're a new creation. We tend to think back on our life before we were saved, and we, and we just sulk in it. Sulk in how horrible we once were and all these things. When we need to see ourselves as God does, if we're believers, you know, as believers— we need to be seeing ourselves like God does as born-again children of the Most High. Okay? We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. That can and will help us in our charge here that we have to be holy. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time in reverent fear. Okay, reverent fear, it's necessary for us to live holy lives. It's, it's being aware that God, the creator of the universe, he's watching over us, and he expects us to make choices that honor him. Okay, reverent fear. We just got back from youth group middle school camp a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, and some of the kids were trying to get me to go on this 60-foot swing, and I'm sitting there looking at those ropes, and I'm thinking about how long those things have been up there in the trees getting rained on and snowed on and ice covered on. And I see this group of teenagers, five or six, trying to hoist the others up, struggling with them. And I'm well into my 200 pounds, okay? Well into it, on my way to 300. And I'm looking at that in reverent fear going, look, I understand what it can do. Yeah, I'm not going on it. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, no matter how much they try to convince me, Leah, uh, how much they try to convince me, it just it wasn't going to happen. Okay, uh, it's a healthy fear, it's a reverent fear, it's a, it's, it was necessary for me to, you know, make that choice of, I'm not going on that swing, that's not a chance, sorry guys, and then that rickety old ladder getting up there, yeah, wasn't going to happen, okay, and, and we don't live our lives in, in that type of a fear, so to say, like one that we're worried about what God's going to do if whatever, but it's, what it means, it's, it's like us knowing God, knowing that he's watching us and that that should make us, that should cause us to, to live differently. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed from, the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This charge to live a holy, set-apart, and godly life it makes sense when you think about what, what was paid. What was paid for the ransom? What was paid for our redemption? 
what was paid for us to be restored and had our relationship renewed with God and, and made proper. It, it makes sense, okay? Peter tells us, too, here, what we're, what we're saved from. He's telling us that, we were, that we're saved from a worthless way, way of life, which is all that life is without Christ, a worthless, meaningless life without purpose, okay? But life is not like that. That's when we have life in this, when we have faith in this living hope, it's, our life is changed, okay? But life without living hope is that. It's worthless. Peter tells us we're saved out of that. We're saved out of that, not with these things that fade away, but we're saved by this, this lamb without blemish, okay? He's referring to Jesus as being sinless, as being perfect, the perfect man God who came to this earth and lived this perfect life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, and then he died in your place, so that way you didn't have to do that. That's what he's, he's reminding us that here, okay? This, this is encouraging. This is encouraging for the Christians at the time as they're being persecuted, and some of them are being killed and beaten and thrown in jail, and it should be encouraging to us now as Christians, okay? Peter is showing this great value that Christians, Christians are to God. He's willing to send his son to die in your place, okay? And, and worth, it's not, it's not, it's measured here, okay, it's measured by the price that God is w willing to pay in order to call us his people, in order to adopt us into his family, okay, so we can be sons and daughters of, of God. Something we should be looking at here, too, is that God's blood, it's the only thing that holds its value, okay? The gold, the silver, those things go up and down in value. Copper's in there, too. Not in this text, but that's, a lot of people like copper. But he's, he's not saying that. He's saying that God's the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ, okay? It's something that's invaluable. Invaluable, okay? And this should remind us, look, Christ saved you, not so you can go on living, living this, uh, like, as if you're trash. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying, living a life as if you're garbage. That's not, that's not it. Verses 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Okay, Peter's reminding us, this is God's plan from all along. This was God's plan since before the creation of the world. It's always been Jesus. It's not like God is up in heaven going, oh man, they're doing that. Ooh, yeah, they're blaming the Christians now. Oh, I don't know what to do. Okay, this was always God's plan. Jesus was always God's plan since the beginning. Okay, and then he tells what Jesus did, that Jesus did this for your sake. Okay, think about that. Jesus leaves the perfect unity of the Trinity up in heaven, God, Father, Holy Spirit, comes down to this world, living a perfect, sinless life, dies as your sacrifice. Okay, he, he's reminding us of these things. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Okay. Jesus didn't come down to earth for his own pleasures or for his own self-interest. He came down for your sake. Okay? He came down for my sake, for the sake of the fallen human race. That's what he came down to. Okay? But it, it kind of gives us some, uh, some, some more things to look at here. It wasn't just the plan for Jesus to die. That wasn't it. It didn't end there. The plan wasn't only to sacrifice Jesus for the payment of sin. It was to raise Christ from the dead and to give him glory. In the same way that God had a plan for Christ, 
in his, his life and in his sacrifice and in his death and his resurrection and then him being ascended into God at the right hand of the Father in glory. Okay, he has the same, same thing for us. He has the same plan for us. Okay, not the same as Jesus, but in the same way, his plan for us. And we trust God in and through Christ, and we know that he's going to do the same for us. Peter's, and what Peter's telling us here is if, you're, if your faith and hope, are, he says right here, um, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. He's, he's telling us, look, if you put your faith and hope in these things, your hope and faith, they're in the right spot. They're in the correct spot. You're right where you need to be. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Okay. Obedience. Our obedience, it's based on truth. It's not based on, oh man, I'm just so worried. It's, it's based on truth. Lots of people say that the Bible is like a good moral book, that the idea of the Bible has got good principles to live by, Jesus was just a good teacher, all these things, okay, but they don't actually believe it. If the Bible is not truth, why are we even studying it? Why are we even here? There's no point to obeying it, and you should just do what you want, okay, but we know that that's not right. It's based on truth, okay? Peter's talking, too, and he's talking about showing sincere love for each other, because we obey the truth, we've been changed, we've been transformed, we've become a new creation in Christ. He's telling us, because of that, if you're truly born again, you're tr truly born of the God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, okay? You're going to have a transformed life in, in, in your life, in your character, and then one here that shows true love for each other. And that could be, that could be the hard one, okay? Sometimes people are annoying, you know, and it, it, could, be, it could be hard. It could be hard, okay? But sincere love, it's, it's something, it, it can't be faked. Um, it can't be faked. It's not like, you know, I, I, well, I'm going to love this person 80%, and then the rest, like, you know, I've done my part, God. It, it's, it's not that, okay? It, it's a love that puts up with others who annoy you, okay? It's not natural. It's from God, okay? From holy, it, it's from God, okay? And in holy living, Peter is telling us, it's, it's incomplete without sincere love without sincere love for people. Okay, and then we get into this weird thing where he's starting to talk about grass and flowers. You know, and we're like, what is he talking about here? Okay, let's, let's read this again. Verses 24 through the end of chapter 1. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of, a, of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Okay, he's, what he's talking about, he's saying that people will come and go, these things are going to come and go, okay, all these earthly things, they, they're, they're just coming and going, all the, those type of things. But he's saying God's word is the one thing that endures forever. God's word is the one thing you can always count on, okay, all these other things are going to fail us, okay, fitness will fail, our health will fail, um, bank accounts go empty, relationships, if they're not founded on, on God, they're going to break apart, cars break down, but guess what? God's word will endure. God's word doesn't change, people change, okay? We see people are like grass, all their glory of the field, they, they wither and they fall, they die out, okay? People change, people will disappoint you, 
all these things. But God's word doesn't change. God's word, it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay? God's word sanctifies us by truth. God's word is truth. And what we need to remember from this is that the Bible, it's, it's, it's timeless. It's ageless. It, it's, it's endless, and it always will be. It always will be. It'll always be relevant in your life, as if it was relevant in these people's life at this time, and it's relevant in our life now. Okay? I mean, we don't have to look into very far if Christians are still being persecuted. I mean, Christians are still being killed in, in these other countries, Africa, Northern Africa. Um, they're, they're being killed for their faith. They're being martyred for their faith. Okay? And then there's a bunch of other things going on in the United States, in Canada, just for being a Christian. Okay? But the hope here, we can, we can know that God's word never fails. God's word of salvation never fails. God's promise of salvation through the gospel message doesn't fail. It'll always be the same. It's going to be relevant in our life today, tomorrow, and however long people are here on this earth. Okay? Peter, he, he finishes his thought here in, in the first three verses of chapter 2. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, Peter here, he's, he's telling us what to crave. And, you know, look at, look at babies. Look at, look at babies. Sometimes babies, they'll be crying, and they'll be rejecting the, the milk that they're even crying for. And then what happens? You, you give them milk. You, they get a taste of the milk. And then, then they, start, they start drinking it. Okay. He's, he's talking about milk here. This isn't to be confused with when Paul's talking about um, he's talking about milk and meat in, in Corinthians. It's not to be confused with that. It, this is more of a, a point towards the appetite, the appetite that we should have. It should be an appetite like that of a baby has for milk. Okay, here the pure spiritual milk is, is the word of God. Every believer needs to have that appetite, the same that a baby would have for milk when you have that appetite for the word of God. Okay, and how do we, how do we get this appetite if we don't have it? If, if you don't have an appetite for God's word, if you don't like reading God's word, if you don't like getting in your Bible, okay, how, how, do we, how do we get it? Okay. He tells us, you need to crave it. Drop all of these things, drop all of these character traits here that are opposite of that of the Spirit, and, and crave the pure spiritual milk. Okay. We, we start drinking the milk. That's how we get the appetite for it. Okay. God's intended path for spiritual growth is through his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We, we take reading the Bible, sometimes we can take it super lightly. You know, we, we just go back to all the pilot, like we were talking about earlier. Okay? We, we carry it to church, we carry it to our Bible studies, we do all these things. We might read a chapter here or there um, every day or so, but are, are we getting nourished by it? Okay? We, we fail to memorize it, me included. We fail to meditate on it. We fail to apply it to our lives all things that scripture says that we need to be doing. Okay. We, we tend to only take enough of the Bible, enough of the spiritual milk to keep us alive spiritually, but we, we don't ingest enough to be, to be healthy, to be, a, to be a healthy, thriving Christian. And, and the Bible, okay, this is, this is God's tool, okay, the Bible is a tool that the Holy Spirit uses in your life that gives us the ability to go on and help us in our, in our fight with spiritual battles, in our 
the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit yeah, that we were talking about here. And that kind of brings us to our, to our close here. And, and three things I want us to just kind of remember. The three questions you guys might remember a couple weeks ago, maybe not, when I was up here and we asked three questions, okay? Whenever I'm reading my Bible, I, I like to ask these questions. The first is, what does this tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about God? The, the second is, is what does this passage tell me about people? What does it tell me about me? And then the last one is, what, what do I need to do or change what, what I need to do or change in my life, okay? And, and the, what I want us to kind of focus in on here, or what does this tell me about God, is that we need to love God's word. We need to love God's word. This needs to be the one thing that we turn to in all seasons of our life, okay? God's word, God's, the gospel message, God's word, it's the thing that endures forever, okay? God's word endures forever. But what, what does this tell me about me? What does it tell me about people? Okay, it's, it's that we need to know God's word, that we need to be reading it so we know what it says. Okay, we need to be memorizing God's word. We need to be um, meditating God's word day and night. Okay, like Psalm 1 tells us, like a bunch of Psalms tell us. Meditate on the word day and night. And then what do I need to change? Okay, ties in to the second question. Okay, like, like that above, we need to read our Bible. We need to meditate on the scriptures day and night. We don't... We, we, we need to, to read it and actually obey it. Do what it says. We need to set our minds on Jesus, who, who is our hope, and we need to get our body under control, okay? We need to set our minds. We need to make up the, the choice in our minds. When we come up to whatever sin, temptation, or issue, or problem, we've girded up our minds. If this happens, God, I'm going to take this to you. We need to be doing that to get our, to get our bodies under control, okay? I'm just going to pray for us, and then, yeah, you guys will be, you guys will be dismissed. Father God, I just thank you for today, Lord. We just uh, thank you for everybody that, that gathered here this morning, God. God, we do, we do just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the, your promise of salvation, Lord, that everybody who calls in your name will be saved. God, we just pray um, that you can help us remember that. God, we pray that you just help us. Um, re remember the gospel ourselves so that we don't go living our life in autopilot, but we, we can go with, with a plan, God, and the plan is you. I just pray that you uh, bless each and everybody that's here, Lord, and just uh, keep them safe this week. We ask for safe travels for Pastor Dave so he comes back next week, and that he just had a good time. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.